Pet Care Rockstars is brought to you by... Do you have a pet care business but need a website? Well, look no further than the Pet Care Rockstars website solution. We can deliver to you a fast-loading, mobile-optimized website that's also SEO-friendly. Your customers will love our websites, and you'll love the affordability. We'll also give you all the tools you need to easily maintain your website, even if you have little technical knowledge. Go to PetCareRockstars.com slash websites now to get more information. Welcome to Pet Care Rockstars. Solid advice you can implement into your own pet care business today. Whether you're just starting out, getting ready to grow, or ready to scale. You'll hear firsthand from Pet Care Rockstars who've been down this path before, including what worked, what didn't, and some tools you'll need for your awesome journey. Now the host of Pet Care Rockstars, Dave Westwood. My guest today is Robert Fordo, and he's the creator and host of DogWorks Radio. He's also the trainer at Alaska DogWorks, where they train not only for obedience, but working in therapy dogs as well. He also is part of Team Eneke, where he's a dog musher with a 40-dog kennel that he leads in races and expeditions throughout the state of Alaska. Let's get to the show. Robert Fordo, welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, again, my name is Robert Porto, and I live up in Willow, Alaska. We're about an hour and a half north of Anchorage, and I have been involved with the dog training industry, the pet industry, since 1994. I was a broke college student going to Portland State in Oregon, and I thought, well, I would uh, love to have a way to earn a living while I was in college. So I showed up to um, to the parks around Portland with what I like to say, a business card, a leash, and a smile, and everything sort of took off from there. And man, I've 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 trained I don't know hundreds, if not thousands, of dogs over the years. And really, uh, I, I I live with a pack of sled dogs, so dogs and sort of the dog world is my life. <laughs> it sounds like it, and uh, you know, with sled dogs, probably dog hair is a part of your life as well. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so you've lived, you said about going to Portland State, but you've lived in several areas throughout the 48 states, um, the lower 48. What made you settle on Alaska? You know, that's an interesting story. I always wanted to to run the Iditarod. I had this crazy Iditarod dream since I purchased my first Siberian Husky in 1987. And the time was right in the mid-2000s or so. The kids were getting a little older and uh, we were living in in the suburbs of Denver and just kind of doing that uh, that daily grind, just you know, living in a home with an HOA and all that. And it was time to get away, so we literally packed up the proverbial truck and, and moved north. and And here we are today with uh, with a beautiful property on about five and a half acres, and we back up to I don't know two hundred miles or so of trails, and we're living that uh, Alaskan dream. No, that sounds awesome. I know um, in addition to the podcast that you do, you also do, um, I, I guess it also airs over terrestrial radio as well up in Alaska, correct? Yeah, as far as I know, we are the only dog mushing show that's on a, a weekly broadcast on, on terrestrial radio anywhere in the world. And I think that's that's a pretty cool distinction to have. And people listen to our show because, of course, up here, dog dog mushing and the Iditarod and, and that sort of thing is, is a way of life. And that's something we're pretty proud of, to be able to have that show on 
on the radio where you can kind of just turn the dial in as they as they used to do on the radio and you'll pick us up driving down the road in your car yeah that's really cool uh what, what's the difference between someone that might listen to it on the radio and someone who might catch your podcast do you find uh, a different type of listener or is it generally the same type that's looking for dog mushing <laughs> I think that's a good question. First and foremost, we are under the constraints on our show uh, to have it meet those parameters. You know, we have to be on for for no more than 27 minutes, and of course, we uh, have to keep it family centric and do all the things that that uh, the FCC requires us to do. But really, we just simulcast our podcast on the radio, so we keep our shows. Uh, very family centric and, and kind of on topic, and it's it's something that we had to get used to doing you know with all those parameters but it's been a, a fun experience and we love it yeah it sounds like fun now what um got you started doing the podcast uh we were in denver we had our dog training center there and we thought wow we need to be able to reach a a greater audience you know we had a lot of clients coming and going in our training center but we had so much information that we thought we could pass along and in late 2009, early 2010, I remember uh, setting up shop there in, in our dog training center on Saturday mornings. We had some mics and a, and a mixing board and a couple of computer screens, and we just hit record. And here we are, I don't know, 800 episodes or more now, and we're still doing it every week. Well, that's amazing being able to find content to keep you going as long. Um, you know, when you say 2009, I know it. It's almost like you're a pioneer in podcasting. Um, you've been on that long. So um, quick question for you with regard to this, though. So you started in Denver um, with the podcast, but you've had businesses um, in several different areas where you've lived. What are some of the challenges to kind of just closing up shop in one spot and picking up and moving to another place and then rebuilding what you've already done that that's a great question when we decided to move up and then up to alaska from denver it was kind of a spur of the moment type thing we, we moved up here we bought our home in august of 2010 and i moved up here about a year and a half earlier uh, my wife and kids stayed back in denver so we could not only make sure that we met the needs of all of our current clients but we wanted to make sure when the family moved up here, we were able to support ourselves. So she spent about a year and a half back in town while I was up here getting our house ready and starting our sled dog kennel and whatnot, because we just didn't want to move everybody up with no idea what was going to happen. You know, it's a lot of people do that these days and it sort of backfires. But when you're self-employed, you have to make sure all the ducks in a row or, or you could be, you know, eating uh, bread and water real quick if you don't watch out. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've uh, definitely experienced those ebbs and flows within my business. Um, and, and obviously, you've done business for quite some time. How has it changed over the years um, with the internet, with social media, a lot of those things? Um, you know, what did you do for marketing back in the day? And is there stuff that still works today that worked then? Uh, good question. Back in the day, as I mentioned, we were really just about word of mouth. We were hanging up flyers on 
on uh, on windows in, in pet offices, like vet offices and grooming shops and that sort of thing. It was definitely more, uh, you know, boots on the ground type marketing back then. And of course, everything changed with social media. I remember uh, my wife and I were, were sitting at our desk in December of 2008 or so, and we were deciding what we were going to do for the next year in terms of marketing. And at that time, we had an $1,800 a month yellow page ad which was just outrageous but that was our major form of getting our word out and i remember we bit the bullet one day and we said we can't afford to do this anymore it's just too expensive for this little ad so i it, just one day we opened up a facebook page and a twitter account and and all of that and uh we put all of our eggs in one basket and just kind of rolled with it because we knew at that point that we were not going to get any more leads coming in from from uh, from the yellow pages. So we had to do what we had to do, and we quickly built up a following on social media, and it sort of continued to grow from there. Yeah. So with that growth, um, did you have concerns moving to an area like Alaska, where I obviously population's a lot less dense than Denver. Um, the climate's a lot different, um, and, and the population base is a lot different. Did you have any concerns in growing your business in that you know, respect? We did. Uh, we, we live here uh, just outside of Anchorage, and we have about 300,000 people in Anchorage. And of course, if, if you think that about 75% of the population or so has has a pet and some of that some of those people of course have dogs that's still a pretty good population base for a dog training business with relatively little competition but you're right when you move up from an area that has several million to a population of less than a fifth of that you have to rethink things and we've always been successful with our service dog training and we knew going right in that we had to do that on more of a at least a regional or or even a national level. So we started marketing more on, on kind of a more of a geographic, uh, you know, area to do that. And, and that seems to have worked well uh, because there, you know, there's just not enough people up here to to sustain uh, the business that, that we need. You know, having a, a kennel of sled dogs is an expensive endeavor. Oh, no doubt. Uh, just just feeding them and, you know, uh, obviously maintaining that space, I can imagine, takes up a lot of uh, resources. Um, so in terms of the elements, I mean, do you experience, you know, I know we're talking about training, um, but do you experience like different seasonal peaks based upon the weather? Um, you know, because I'm sure even though in the winter, that's when a lot of races happen and things like that. But at the same time, it's pretty darn cold, I imagine. It is. And in our dog training business, it's, it is more seasonal than, than we've been used to over the years. But we found that by offering in-home training and offering what we call camp, which is a board and train type program, we've, able, we've been able to sustain it on kind of an, a, a yearly type basis, which is which is really nice. But then again, uh, dog training is a, is a different animal when you're doing it all indoors, whereas, you know, most people are, are working out in parks and, you know, public spaces and that sort of thing. But very few clients want to venture out when it's 20 or 30 below zero. <laughs> no, I, I complain about the winters here in Pennsylvania and just the 
just you saying 20, 30 below zero uh, kind of makes me shiver. So <laughs> I definitely get it. Um, so you mentioned about your wife kind of running the business in Denver while you were in Alaska, and she, she's a big part of your business. Um, what role do each of you play within the business? That's a great question. We share uh, the the dog training duties probably about 50-50. I tend to work with a little bit more of the working dogs, in particular with protection and 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 that sort of type training, whereas she does all of the service and therapy work. And I am doing most of the behind the scenes business type stuff, you know, the marketing and the advertising and all of the, the computer type work where she's doing a lot of the face to face meetings in, in public, you know, meeting with the, with our, our vendors and our sponsors and, you know, the vets offices and that sort of thing. So it's about a 50 50 split, which seems to work out pretty good. Yeah. And family run businesses like that, I, my wife and I have a similar type arrangement. Uh, it, it works out great. Do you, do you have other people that work for you? We have in the past. We have some people that work with us in our, uh, in our sled dog kennel. We always have uh, a helper or a handler that helps us out with that because it's just so labor intensive. But we've had contract trainers over the years. They come and go. A lot of people just don't have the drive that we're looking for. You know, because if, if you know anything about dog training, your, your listeners in particular, it's a tough it's a tough business to be in. It, you know, it, it's a lot of work. It's physical. It's it's uh, demanding. It, it's a tough business to be in. And I think a lot of people have the desire to to get involved with it because they always say, yes, I love dogs. So I would love to be a dog trainer. But there's so many things uh, aside from just loving dogs to be a successful business person. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons I started this podcast was kind of going over some of these things, because I think a lot of people go into any business with a love for animals and then they don't worry about the business side and then they kind of get overwhelmed uh, with training. You mentioned other obstacles because dealing with uh, animals and particularly ones that need training can be uh, quite challenging. Uh, what what challenges do you find, um, you know, and what would you say for someone looking to be a dog trainer, what challenges do you think you need to look out for? Uh, I think one of the most difficult challenges that we deal with is um, client accountability, meaning that they're going to do their part and follow through uh, with what we have taught them. We can do all the training in the world with their dogs, but if we send home a trained dog and the client or the pet owner doesn't do anything afterwards, they're going to see the same behaviors and same attitudes that their dog had previously come back real quickly. So just keeping our clients on top of their game and, and making sure that they're doing their part, is it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's, it's kind of a task that comes with the game, but... Uh, uh, I would say that's one of the biggest challenges. Another challenge is, like I said, living here in Alaska, it's just uh, uh, our, our remoteness compared to other places. And, you know, I've worked in, in dog training. I've worked with dog training uh, businesses throughout the country. And, and it's it's tough up here, but it, it can you can have a go at it if, if you if you're consistent and, and you kind of just just put your boots on the ground and, and grind away. Sure. So how far um, have people come to, you know, see you in Alaska to get their dogs trained? Uh, we have trained dogs from 
all over the country. We have service dogs that we've placed uh, in New Zealand, in South Korea, in Argentina, in Canada. That's where the, our most global reach is with, is with our service dogs. We do a lot of training for service dogs for uh, former military folks, so that we have quite a reach there. Uh, we've had um, dogs come up to to attend our camp from I don't know most of the Pacific Northwest region. You know, you're thinking about Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, uh, Colorado, that area. So we have a pretty good reach there, and I would love to be able to to get uh, that reach a little bit further. And that, that's something that's on our radar is to be able to to uh, offer dog training to other places throughout the country. Yeah, and that's the great thing. Uh, you definitely can't get that with the Yellow Pages ad. So I right. think making that move to social media and setting up your website and doing a lot of those other things um, was definitely the right move when you did it. Um, so you mentioned about training dogs. Um, I know one of the projects you're working on is, uh, and I'm going to butcher the name again, Ineka, Ineka project, um, where you're training the Huskies to be service dogs for autistic kids. Um, what makes a Husky a good service dog relative to other breeds? Um, you know, personally, I've never worked with service dogs, but, um, you know, you know, what makes a Husky, um, a great breed as far as being a service dog? Our service dog training, or actually our therapy dog training, started with the namesake of our kennel, Team Aneke. It was a uh, just a lovable, hardworking lead dog that we had. His name was Aneke. He was a rescue dog that we got in the early 2000s. And he just had that that temperament to be a, a very well-rounded dog. And we sort of built a, a program based on that. And it's been relatively success, successful. Most of our service dogs have, uh, we, we've kind of shifted gears a little bit. Most of our service dogs are now either Golden Retrievers, Labradors, or German Shepherds, kind of that prototypical service dog breed. But we have placed several of our, of our sled dogs in working homes, and in particular with the uh, autistic kids, because they have that 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 kind of attraction to the kids and the kids of course are, are attracted to them in that way in which other working type environments may may or may not uh, be as successful you know there's not as much work needed with an autistic service dog as with a, a mobility dog or you know something that's more work centric so it just seems to be a little bit easier to place uh, the cute and fuzzy dogs versus that uh, sort of hard hardcore working type lines of, of the, of the lab or the golden or whatever. Sure. So what, what do you see as some of the challenges really in understanding the needs of the person um, that might be in need of a service dog and how do you meet those needs? That's a great question. We do our service dog training a little bit different than most service dog training companies. Most companies throughout the country, uh, you, 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 get on a waiting list for a service dog and you may wait uh, a year, two years, three years, whatever. And then they hand off a trained dog to you. Whereas we offer it in a little bit different way. We keep the dog at the very beginning. We train them up in sort of the basics, what we call foundational training. And then almost always our training goes uh, hand in hand with the person or a person's team. So if a person is unable to do the training, let's say that they're a young child or or they have mobility issues or whatever, we will work with the family or the team to work work with the dog and build up that training program with the with the client 
working with us. So it becomes a process where we're involved with the client from the very beginning versus just handing off that trained dog. And we found that that works pretty well. In terms of challenges, uh, that's a good question. I think one of the biggest challenges with what we offer compared to others is we are not a nonprofit. And uh, being a, a for-profit company and, and charging for our services is some kind, sometimes uh, not met with the best of, of uh, circumstances. Of course, when you think of folks that need service dogs, they may or may not have the financial resources to be able to afford training of a service dog. So that's probably the biggest challenge that we have. Gotcha. Definitely makes sense. Um, so one thing I've noticed about your businesses in kind of doing my research um, is that one kind of flows into the other, you know, so, um, you know, you did the training, then you moved into training therapy dogs and service dogs, but then you're also training others to do training. Um, did you find this as a natural evolution or was it kind of part of your business plan? It was sort of that natural evolution, but it was also a need to expand our services or expand our reach. We knew that we had to be that place where a person could come for whatever they were looking for, whether they were looking for uh, just your basic obedience or basic manners type training, or they were looking for something more specific or more advanced, whether it be the working dogs in, in, in terms of service work or you know the protection dogs for businesses and that sort of thing. And so we figured out we had to be able to offer this. And since we had a pretty good range of experience, you know, under our belt or, or from our, our previous training, we thought that we could offer services that would be the most well-rounded for our clients. Yeah. And that's something I think a lot of people in business, uh, whether it's pet related or not, um, you know, fail to see. They see, you know, there's a need out there. And instead of evolving to meet that need, they just kind of hand that business off to someone else. Um, so I think that was really smart in your regard. Um, you know, we talked about the seasonality and particularly as it relates to weather. Uh, one, one thing I noticed with you, um, you and your wife like to spend your summers riding roller coasters, attending rock concerts. Um, I know you, you even have a podcast <laughs> devoted to roller coasters. Um, so um, what are some of the favorite concerts that you've attended over the years? That That's a, another great question. It, we decided when the kids had moved out and, and we had a little bit of extra time on our hand, it was time for us to do a little traveling on our own. And up here in Alaska, we work hard, but we have to have a little bit of time for play as well. And we've always had a passion for roller coasters and rock concerts. So a few years ago, we started what we call the Rock and Roller Tour, where we head down to the lower 48 and catch some music festivals. And then in that immediate area, we find some theme parks and, and ride roller coasters as well. Uh, in terms of favorite concerts, we love the music festivals where you can go for a weekend and see 20 or 30 bands at a time that's it's such a cool experience it reminds me back in the you know in my in my early days as a as a rock musician i thought i was going to be the the next reincarnation of, of nirvana nirvana that didn't of course work out very well but uh, i love going to see rock and roll shows and just hanging out and being with a crowd of people is just it just really gets the the energy pumping for sure and the roller coasters it's it's just that 
that sense of adventure. My wife and I have ridden, I don't know, 300, almost 400 roller coasters over the last three or four years. And it's just fun to, to jump in a rental car somewhere and just, just let it roll. And those road trips are a great way for my wife and I to reconnect because we're so busy throughout the year that even though we're in business together, we don't spend as much time together as we should. And I think just uh, just going on a trip together is a really good way to to reconnect and uh, and you know think about other priorities outside of work. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I know you're busy checking things off your bucket list. One of the things I saw is that you recently became a certified diver, uh, so you can swim with sharks in Mexico. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Oh yeah, I cannot wait for that. That uh, that has been a bucket list trip since. Uh, I saw Jaws, I think, uh, when I was a little kid. I think that was in the in the mid to late 70s. And I thought, wow, I've got to do this someday. And and I went back to school a few years ago and, and got a, another degree in outdoor leadership to sort of help, up, help out our business. And uh, my wife said, what do you want for graduation? And I crazily said, I want to go diving with, with great whites. So we made it happen. I took a scuba course uh, over the last year or so. And so looking forward to to my trip uh, coming up later this fall. Yeah, that that sounds awesome. How do you keep the business running while you're doing all this stuff, though? Well, that's a great question. Uh, there's always somebody here at the house, and the the nice thing that we have up here with our our board and train program is we're able to schedule those off so that we can do it in blocks. We always have about a week or two of a buffer every quarter. So we'll do um, our, our training are either two or three weeks long. So after that's over, we, you know, we'll have a little bit of a break and whether we're going on a trip or kind of just kind of refueling ourselves for the next batch, we schedule it around. So we know exactly what's happening over the next 12 or 14 months. No, and that's really important to kind of prioritize stuff. Um, do you have any systems in place um, that kind of help guide you in that direction? Or do you just say, hey, we're going away these two weeks. Let's just schedule around it and block this time off. Well, our everything is revolved around our service dog training program. We do it in what we call a semester system, which is very similar to to going back to college. And we use, interesting enough, we use the same exact calendar as our local university. And we do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, all of the um, times off, like spring break or winter break or Thanksgiving break or whatever, are times that, that we have off from training as well. So we always have the holidays off. And I know that's, that's interesting in a dog training business because most people think, wow, you should be available when other people want to go out of town. And we have thought over the years that we don't need a house full of dogs at Christmas so everybody else can travel. We want to be able to have that time off as well. So we've built our business around that calendar so we know year in and year out exactly where, when we're going to have time off and uh, when, the, when the place will be full of, of clients' dogs. Well, and you mentioned about... Um dog businesses and pet related businesses kind of being busy, the exact opposite where they're rocking and rolling during the holidays where other people are going away. Um, and, and I think that's something that kind of leads to a lot of pet professionals kind of getting burned out, getting yep. sick of the business and moving on. Um, what advice would you give to someone 
if they're saying, hey, I'm too busy with my business to kind of go out and do these fun things that you're out doing. A great point. I think uh, starting off in this business, you have to be the exact opposite of everybody else. And you brought up a good point about the holidays, but you also have to be on a schedule where everybody else is at home when you're at work. So you ha when you're first starting out, you have to work you know, those evenings and nights. Every weekend, you should be open for training, whether it be in-home classes or a training center, because that's where your clients need you. And I think that's an important distinction to make. But yeah, it, it you're right. It is very easy to burn out on, on something like this. I, I don't know how many uh, of my colleagues in, in the training industry are no longer doing it that started well after we did because it's such it's such a, a uh, any pet industry is the same it's such a different atmosphere than your typical nine to five you know we don't go to the office and you know sit sit at a computer from from nine to five we're doing different things every day and of course that's that's the same in, in any other business but we are meeting the needs of clients in a different way than your typical office job or you know, computer related job or whatever. Yeah. And it, it does take that dedication because I think a lot of people, it, it's not cut out for everybody. <laughs> you know, the real reality is, um, you know, there are some people that like that nine to five structure and weekends off and holidays off, um, you know, which, you know, when you are an entrepreneur and you have your own business, um, many times it's, far from that. And you even mentioned about, you know, when you do go away, reconnecting with uh, your wife, Michelle, because, hey, when we're running the business, we don't have that time to connect. So um, I think it is something that's critical for people to understand uh, going into any business. Um, so we, we did talk about a lot of fun things today. Um, and I'd like to know, though, what is one thing that people might not know about you? Um, boy, I don't know. There's <laughs> there, there's so many things that that's that's gone on in my life. Uh, I don't know. There, there's so many. I know. I, I I usually stump people with that question. I kind of put them on the spot. So, Robert, tell us where people can find you. Uh, you can find us all over social media, just searching for Alaska Dog Works or Dog Works Radio. Uh, I'm on, I think, all of the social medias. Just search for Robert Forto and I'll pop up. And I'm one of those folks that if you message me or post something on our pages, I will be sure to respond and uh, give the best feedback that I can. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we put all the links in the show notes on our website Robert, hey, thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to uh, having on my show as well. Today's episode was brought to you by the Pet Care Rockstars program. If you're looking to start or grow your pet care business, this program is for you. The Pet Care Rockstars program features downloadable content, including forms, contracts, audio and video tutorials, and much more. In addition, You'll have lifetime access to everything in the Pet Care Rockstars program, along with all future content, which we will be updating on a regular basis. Go to PetCareRockstars.com and click on the Become a Pet Care Rockstar Now link at the top of the page. And we'll see you on the next episode of Pet Care Rockstars. 
This has been Pet Care Rockstars with Dave Westwood. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the show so you'll be first to hear new episodes packed with tips and tools for your pet care business. And visit our website at PetCareRockstars.com to find out about the Pet Care Rockstars program, our all-in-one solution to get you up and running for your pet care business. To join the conversation and access more great content on your favorite social media sites, just search Pet Care Rockstars.